I'm in the prime of life, says me, far as I be known. Having time to snack around in comfort all the year. So when we get a little time before our boat gets going, we head on down to the library, and this is what we hear. Come, Come on, on and in, look, look all around, there's plenty for to see. Make your own self right at home, I love the library. walking the dog for Carl and Bev Williams and they are both um, retired teachers and administrators and uh, they had offered to help me with Oliver's math and uh, then Carl said to me one day what 
you know what he said. It was, I thought it was so funny. What did he say? Uh, he said, I happen to have a math tutor in my basement. <laughs> yes, because you had just come to town and you were living with a friend. Yes. And um, in Carl's basement. And uh, he was so excited about this turn of events and he couldn't wait to introduce me to Raquel. And um, yes, my son and I have been in love ever since. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I think what I really, really adore about you is um, you're so soft-spoken and gentle and kind. And you're such a straight shooter. There's no funny business, which my teenager desperately needed somebody who wasn't going to put up with any funny business. And um, you just call it out really straightforward, and that's the end of it. Um, Until the next time. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I mean, you know, I've told you many times how much... I love working with Oliver, and whenever he goes out of town or I don't see him for a while, it's it's a difficult adjustment. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, too, over these past few years, especially through the pandemic, um, I remember the pandemic was a bit of a challenge because you're not a big technology right. lover. Right. And um, when we went into that shutdown... We had you, um, I had you do continue to tutor him virtual, virtual, mm-hmm. yes. And we had we had a little virtual lessons, yes. <laughs> and um, but it kept him going and it kept him on track. And I also feel like during that shutdown, you were the only other adult he saw, and um, it meant the world to him to be able to see you every day. And That's really good to hear. I was, I was also. It was so easy with Oliver, too, because, I don't know, we just, I think we just built a strong rapport pretty quickly, so I was, I felt like I was able to communicate with him through the screen, like, ask him direct questions and get direct answers, so that, that definitely made, made it much easier for me, and, yeah, like you said, with everything being shut down and all of us were deprived of human interaction, it was also really beneficial for me to be able to see him every day. Yeah. And so he ended up, he went back to high school this year. Yes. And you're still working with him. Yes. Um, because he wants to work with you. He, he so enjoys you. I uh, really love hearing that. <laughs> so, um, but the more I got to know you, the more fascinated I became at just who you are and how you walk through the world. And um, so... Let's let's start there. Where were you born? Uh, so I was born in Israel, in northern Israel, in a uh, small town on the mountaintop called Svat. Okay. <laughs> and how many brothers and sisters do you have? Uh, I have eight brothers and sisters. Wow. Four brothers, four sisters. Okay. Um, so... Your family immigrated to the United States when you were seven? Uh, that's correct. In uh, November of 91, we moved to New York. It was uh, at the start of the first Gulf War. 
I don't I don't think that was the reason why we left Israel, but it may have just been coincidence. But uh, yeah, I, I distinctly remember the environment there uh, as we were leaving. Uh, we were on um, high alert, and uh, so civilians were distributed gas masks, and soldiers came to the classroom to teach us children how to how to put on properly wear their gas masks. And my brother uh, was an infant at the time. Soldiers came to the house and gave us a plastic, basically a plastic bubble for him. And uh, and before we got to use any of these this equipment, we moved to the States and I f- remember feeling very disappointed for not being able to try all our toys. <laughs> all the new toys. So this bubble, you have to tell me about the bubble for the infant. Yes. It's because they were expecting war. Yeah, so um, it's interesting. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure they have their intel, but every time every time we get into, uh, Israel gets into that, that level, I mean, we're always... Uh, there's always some tension, but whenever the tension level reaches a higher point, they always, I guess, anticipate chemical warfare because uh, even later on when I was uh, in the military there during the start of the second Gulf War, um, the, first, the, the first thing was to uh, distribute gas masks and to set up bomb shelters, but they, weren't, they, they, they wouldn't have done anything for an actual bomb. They were for chemical warfare. So basically there were rooms that were just totally sealed off um, above ground and everything. So I, I think the intel there just always assumes it's going to be chemical. Yeah. So there's this bubble and you could put it's, your hands... Exactly. Like with gloves in it to play with the baby. Exactly, exactly. But seven-year-old you was like, well, I didn't get to play with the baby in the bubble. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, do you know why your parents wanted to leave Israel? Well, my parents actually aren't um, Israeli-born. They were both uh, born in America, and uh, then when they got married, uh, they decided to... Uh, moved to the Holy Land. Uh, they both they both came from secular households, but uh, when um, in their twenties they they had found uh, religion, and I guess that that's what um, enticed them to move to Israel. And they lived there for ten years. But my father always had a difficult time. Uh, adjusting, and he really couldn't pick up the language. He was able to understand it, but every time he spoke, nobody could understand him. So he had a very hard time getting employed. And I feel the reason for moving back to the States had more to do with that, that so that maybe he would have a better chance of finding work. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you, you moved to New York, upstate New York? Correct. When you came back, you were seven. Yes. Yes. You had made a comment once about uh, about being from Israel and how people react to you. Do you remember what you told me um, about that? Well... Or being born in Israel. Yeah, so, so I generally get strong reactions the second that uh, somebody hears that I'm from Israel. And uh, the reactions can be, are, I've experienced both positive and negative reactions. And uh, both of, 
both of those reactions upset me equally because they both make me feel like the person is not seeing me and uh and so because of that reason I tend to hesitate to tell people that I'm I'm Israeli yeah yeah I I think that that's I loved how you put that you know that they both equally upset you because it's not about you at that point right it has nothing to do right. those feelings have nothing to do with you right 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 so if you're hearing that that is Kodiak <laughs> Cal's dog and he's very vocal <laughs> wants to be part of the interview so you lived in upstate New York I wanted to touch on this too I had after learning more about you I had told you that I felt that you were so brave and I really admired you for that. And you had a comment about bravery because you were raised in poverty yes. in New York. Yes. Yeah. So um, so when we moved to New York, my parents got divorced. And um, my, my mom, when we moved, my mom was pregnant with uh, her eighth child. And uh, so she was a single mother of eight kids. And uh, so, I mean, obviously we didn't have a lot of money and um and especially the winters in New York are very cold and very harsh and uh we had limited winter gear so I never I never found myself with proper footwear and um and I'd I'd have to walk home oftentimes and uh my feet would be cold and frozen and every time Throughout my life, people oftentimes have called me brave, and whenever I hear that word, I tend to go back to that point in my life where I remember being so cold, and all I'd want to do was sit in the snow and cry, And but that wouldn't do me any good because um, I would be further away from getting home. So I would continue walking and just focus on one step in front of the other, and I felt that uh, just like other times in my life, it wasn't. It was hard for me to accept the word brave. That I was brave for walking home because what other what other choice did I did I have? And perhaps I feel that to be considered brave, it has to be a conscious choice that you're making. And I don't really feel like these instances of what people call bravery. Um, for me, I was acting more out of necessity than choice. Yeah. I just, I still think you're brave. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, do you want to share any memories about um, cooking at home? Uh, yeah, a fond memory that I do have from growing up. Like, it wasn't, it was, definitely wasn't an easy childhood. Um, and because, again, my mom being a single mom, she was always working, and us kids found ourselves alone in the house all the time. And um, and we used to have a lot of kitchen experiments, and <laughs> and that I have a lot of good memories from that. I remember we would we would make cakes from scratch without using a recipe, and then. It, when mom came home we would excitedly present her with our cake and she would she would take a bite and say hmm another delicious rubber cake 
but I also feel like that's where I um that's that's ex- those experiences ignited my love of cooking um I I distinctly remember our attempt at spice soup so what we wanted to make was was a nice brothy soup without the big chunks so we boiled up a big pot of water and emptied the contents of our spice rack into it and um when when mom came home and of course she 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 tried our meal and um uh she couldn't quite call it delicious and I remember being really perplexed at how people make those delicious brothy soups and asking her why our soup hadn't turned out. And she explained to me the process of making broth. And I really feel like from that point, I, I looked at food in a different way with a lot more curiosity at how to develop flavors. And, um, and yeah, I started, I started cooking for my family pretty regularly when I was 12. Nice. Well, that's what I remember, too, you um, showing Oliver how to make falafels. Yes. He had, uh, he had a project for school to make, uh, to make a Middle Eastern dish, which is perfect because I'm Middle Eastern. Yeah. So we made falafel together. Yeah, and then he came home and he tried to make it for me. And uh, it didn't turn out exactly like yours. <laughs> But he tried really hard. I forget what we did wrong. He he did it, but um, he really did try. I think I they I still ate it though, and it did taste good. Yeah, it, it's difficult because the oil has to be at the exact right temperature. I I struggle with that as well. And if the oil's not hot enough or too hot, then it just yeah just doesn't quite work. <laughs> and I loved your hummus too, because. The hummus you made that went over that oh, was different. Oh, it actually wasn't hummus. It was it was tahini. Tahini. So hummus okay. is. I loved uh, it. Yeah, me too. I'm not a huge fan of hummus, but hummus is chickpeas and tahini yes. is uh, a sesame seeds. But sesame that was peas. better than any. I agree. That <laughs> I had ever had. It was amazing. Thank you. And um, and I also love the salad that went with it. Yeah. It was. It had pickles in it. I it remember that's what you liked. Yeah, it was. I love pickles. I'm a big pickle. Me fan. too. And so. I think pickles and tahini are a great combination. Yes, they were. <laughs> um, I had asked you about. I had. I had heard that you were in the military, uh-huh. and because um, I had, and I had wanted to talk to you about that. So after. In high school, you decided yes. you were going to go back to... Yes. Uh, in 11th grade, I decided I wanted to go back. Um, as I mentioned, my parents got divorced um, when I was seven. And um, throughout my teenage years, I, I moved back and forth between mom and dad. And, uh, and that created a lot of stress and tension for me emotionally and... Um, and both homes, uh, I didn't. I didn't feel. Um, sorry, Cody. Cody's okay. talking. Cody is talking. <laughs> but I didn't feel that I really. I really had a stable home in either of my parents' households, and um, and so 
already in 11th grade, I was planning what I wanted to do after high school. And since neither of my parents were able to help me financially, I started working full time. And I told my family that I wanted to go back to Israel to join the military, which of of course they were very supportive of. It was actually something that was always talked about in my family because older siblings, uh, as they were growing up, they say, yeah, when I turn 18, I'm going back and joining the army, which none of them did. And uh, so everybody was excited that somebody was finally going back to do their military service. And uh, yeah, I found a program that helped uh, that helped youths uh, to go back to Israel. So they did all they helped us with all the bureaucratic process. And uh, I graduated in June and left for Israel in July. July, I believe. So did, were you working full-time through high school, through the last two years of high school? Yes, I was. I was uh, working at a pizzeria uh, in the kitchen, cooking pizzas. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a, I mean, I had jobs too, but I wasn't working full-time. And that's, that's quite a, yeah. to go to school and do that. Yeah. I mean, in high school, I wasn't, I wasn't so focused on my studies. Um, I... Of course, I wanted to graduate, so I I maintained a C average, but I think at that point, my focus was primarily on um, moving away once I graduated. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today I'm talking with Raquel Kraftchow, and this is part one of a two-part series. In this episode, Raquel is talking about her early childhood, being born in Israel, growing up in upstate New York, and then returning to Israel to join the army. And now back to our conversation. Do you have to do military service in Israel to keep your citizenship? So, um, military service is compulsory over there, uh, both for men and women. My uh, my status, though, uh, is called a returning minor, which means that I left. I left before my military obligation began, so it begins at 16. If I had left when I was 16, I would still be expected to come back at 18. Uh, since I left as a minor, I wasn't required to come back. But it's also, if I, I don't remember exactly the cutoff point for women, but basically if I had gone back before I was let's say 30, that number might be wrong, I would, as soon as I'd arrive, I would have, I would be drafted into the military. So I could have just stayed away from Israel until after I reached that age, and then I wouldn't have to worry about it. So my decision to go back was mine. And once I went back, then it became compulsory. Yeah. And you want, you actually wanted to go in the military though. Yeah. I mean, I did. Uh, I'm not sure how much of it was that I was excited to be a soldier and go into the military. I mean, again, it was something that was always talked about. Siblings would always get super excited about what they're going to do in the military, which, of course, they never did. <laughs> and uh, so so there was that excitement. 
But honestly, I think I think the main reason for me going back was because I didn't I didn't have a strong sense of home in New York or again in either of my parents' homes, and uh, and I was seeking home, and I thought maybe that would be a good good yeah. start to that journey to reconnect with my roots. I had also uh, forgotten my language as uh, we didn't speak Hebrew at home. And uh, and I was I was eager to to relearn it. And by the way, if you're looking to learn a new language, I mean military service in a foreign country is <laughs> definitely the best way to learn. Yeah, and um, I laughed when you first told me that the the Israeli military didn't want you. Right. So I've always been small, and when I arrived in Israel, I was under a hundred pounds. And um, the military said, "I, I have to, I have to reach a hundred pounds, or uh, it's Israel, so I think fifty kilos, whatever that number was, uh, in order to, in order for them to accept me." And um, I tried. I, I went there two months before my military service, before my my enlistment date, and uh, and so I did. Tried to eat a lot. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but I think I was probably still a little bit short. And uh, they, but they eventually did accept me. Nice. And so, um, what do you feel like you got out of the military, out of your military service? So it's funny. People always ask me, "Was it fun?" And I always say, "Well, I definitely wouldn't use that adjective." <laughs> but. Um, but it's it's not an experience that I would have I now looking back that I would give up. I'm really happy I went through it, and I think it um, it helped me immensely with my self confidence. Again, I was very small, and uh, throughout my childhood, high school, I was extremely shy. People could barely get a word out of me, and uh, and within a month and a half of boot camp, I gained 20 pounds. And I just, I've, I've never been that strong in my life or since. And it felt amazing. It really helped with my confidence. Uh, and, uh, and also in the military, when you're, when you're a drill sergeant or commanding officer addresses you, you have, to, you have to speak up. You have to shout your answer back. And that was, that was quite intense for me in the beginning. But it really, it really did help me find my voice. So what kind of um, what kind of activities did you do in the military? Uh, you mean my position or yeah so um, so I was in the education branch it's called and my the title of my position was a youth instructor so because military service is compulsory in Israel they uh, they send 11th graders and new immigrants to do a week of boot camp uh, to soften the shock of military life. So I was, I was a drill sergeant in that program. And uh, basically what would that, that would entail, um, the group would uh, arrive on the buses, and as they'd get off the bus, immediately we would step in, get them in line, like um, make sure nobody was chewing gum, all that stuff, and then we would... It was actually uh, pretty funny to watch because um, 
we, we would get our groups that were usually around 12 and uh, and we would have them show them how to stand at attention and now whenever you're standing in front of me this is how you stand and uh, then somebody would come by and they'd ask me how many how many people I'd have I'd say the number 12 and they drop 12 pairs of pants 12 shirts and raggedy old uniforms and all different sizes I didn't care what the sizes were like and then we would give them, we would say, okay, you have seven minutes to put on your uniforms and come back here. And um, and so it would be pretty funny. They would scramble for the uniforms, and then when they'd come out, they'd be tiny little girls swimming in their uniform and guys with, like, the pants coming up to their knees. And, <laughs> and it was always pretty entertaining. And, of course, we would have to remain um, very stoic and stern and, like, uh, and say I don't care what issues you have with your uniform at a later point like you can um you can talk to me and maybe we'll get you one that fits so the first few hour of the day it was they were always quite a sight to see and uh, <laughs> and then uh but anyway throughout the week uh it was uh just military regiment so wake up first thing in the morning and clean their rooms and we'd have um various lessons um biggest one of which would be lessons on the M16 because at the end of the week they would uh, they, we would take them to the shooting range where they would um, shoot um, like 20 bullets or some, something and uh, and yeah kitchen duty all that stuff I'm starting to understand why my son is like why you're able to keep him in line <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great um so how many years did you serve in the military? Uh, I served a year nine months, uh, which is uh, the mandatory military service for women over there, and men in Israel do three years. Okay. And what did you do after? So after the military, um, of course, I was um, I had to make a decision whether to stay in Israel or leave. So I mentioned earlier about my status as a returning minor. So when the government offers all kinds of assistance for people that want to establish citizenship, and because I was a returning minor, I had the same offer. And um, and once once you have once you decide that you want the assistance from the government, then then if let's say you you decide to leave the assistance is gone. If you come back, you don't get it again. And uh, so you only have, for three months, they consider you a tourist. Otherwise, they say now you're living here and um, you either take your services or you don't. They put a freeze on my time while I was in the military. So I arrived two months before my service. So I only had a month uh, after my service to decide whether I wanted to stay or go. Um, Israel is a very, a very challenging place to live in, and not because of the, um, the, the security issues that most people think of when they think of Israel, but um, it's just very difficult to find work there. It's very difficult to, uh, everything's very expensive, and I, I had never lived on my own. I went from my parents' homes to being taken care of by the government, the Israeli government and uh, in the military, so I just didn't feel like I had the support to make it in Israel. 
So I decided to return to New York. Okay. I wonder if before we move away um, from the topic of my military service, um, so so I was wondering actually if I can share a, a couple a couple stories that yes. just I always um, I always like to reminisce about, but um, my. Because people, they do look at me and they always find it pretty amusing when I say that I was a drill sergeant because um, I am a small girl. And I remember my very first group uh, after I got out of boot camp. So they were new immigrants from uh, former Soviet Union. And so, and they were, they were grown men. They were in their <laughs> late 20s, early 30s, and towering over me. And uh, a lot of them had actually even served in the Russian military, were officers. And, uh, and I remember, I remember they were so, they were just so, so kind to me. They were so good, and they did, and I know it's also, um, in Russian culture, they don't, men, have a hard time taking orders from women, especially women that are younger than them. I was 19 at the time, and uh, and so you have to choose. As soon as we get our group, we choose um, basically our right hand man. So that person is the one is the link uh, from the rest of the team to me, and that's the one person that I talk to. So I had chosen my uh, right hand man. And I remember one day we had um, uh, we had bathroom duty, and so they were given these teeny tiny little green scouring pads to clean the bathroom with, and I would give them something like three four minutes, and uh, then I would go inspect. And of course, it was they never did a good enough job, and so I'd send them back another minute to make it perfect, and uh, and it was still not perfect, and. And uh, at this point, they were getting frustrated with me. And uh, I, one of them said a snide comment about um, how, oh, you want me to lick the toilet with my tongue? And, and my right-hand man at that point pulled me aside and he explained to me how many of them, how they're trying to be very respectful of me, but how they're all older than me. And many of them have, have their own military service and, uh, and basically told me I need to back off. And, but I, I was receptive to that. I said, okay, all right, we're done with the bathrooms. And maybe a year later, I think it was, uh, I, was I was called over that somebody, somebody was here on the base that they wanted to visit with me. And I see, um, I see this, this, this sailor, this person in a, in a Navy uniform. And he said, you probably don't remember me. But he explained to me he was a member in that first group. So what happens to these people from the former Soviet Union? Uh, they a lot of them, if they have if they have a Jewish lineage, there's groups in these countries that try to bring these these youths, especially if they're orphans, over to Israel. And uh, so it was really his best option for a lot of these youths. And so that's how this particular group found themselves in Israel. And he was not happy about being in Israel. He wasn't happy about being forced into the military. And he said that my, his week with me 
really gave him a different perspective. And uh, after that, he really tried hard on the different preliminary testing to the military service. And he got a job in the Navy, which is also great for uh, future experience because they teach them a lot of uh, tech. And so it's something that he'd be able to use later on. But he came to thank me for, for inspiring him to try to achieve something in the military. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. I just, wow. Yeah, that was really special to me. To, and at such a young age to know that you impacted somebody's yeah. life. So. And it was funny, that group also at the end of the week, they told me that the reason why they were they, they were so respectful to me was because they actually thought I was Russian. And so they felt this <laughs> sense of camaraderie with me. <laughs> that's funny. I couldn't imagine being... 19 and being in in that position like I would have just crumbled (laughs) well yeah it was it was quite intense again with the confidence I was I was pretty I was pretty impressed with myself (laughs) things I never imagined that I would have been able to do yeah thank you for sharing this is uh it's so delightful to talk to you so we've been talking to Raquel Kraftchow about her early life and uh, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library and it's uh, made possible by the Friends of Petersburg Libraries and if you want to join us this interview will be available online at psglib.org and next week if you want to join us same time we will be talking about what Raquel took off and did with all of her confidence after that (laughs) that she had gained from the Israeli military. Uh, Thank you for joining us.